Hello, my oral surgery friends. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. In this podcast, you will hear surgeons discussing ways to improve the practice of oral and maxillofacial surgery. The goal of this podcast is to evaluate every aspect that a surgeon can improve in order to create a better experience for patients, staff, and the surgeon. Most of the information shared in this podcast will be based on personal experience and opinions. The methods discussed are meant to provoke thought and should be supplemented with research into the approved studies prior to making changes to one's way of practice. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. All right, welcome to another episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. This is Dr. Grant Stuckey. Today I'm joined by a longtime friend, Dr. Mulakozi Luga-Kingira. Dr. Luga, good to have you. Hey, thank you, Grant. Thank you, dude. We've been planning this for a minute. <laughs> yes, it's good to connect and finally get this going. I know. Excellent. Well, my first question for you was if you could just give myself and our listeners kind of a brief history of, you know, your decision to go into dentistry, your training and your current practice setup. Yeah. So, oh, that's a long one, but we'll make it one minute. I'm originally from uh, Tanzania. I grew up in Dar es Salaam City. I uh, all invited to come down to Tanzania. A lot of good things. We'll talk about them if you have time. That's where I did my dental school for five years. I did DDS there and then moved to the States. And obviously to practice here, I had to do the uh, advanced standing program for, uh, you know, foreign trained dentists, which I did at the University of Pennsylvania. And then from there, I actually practiced for one year, private practice in Philly. It was a necessity. My dad passed away back home, so I had to make quick cash and made uh, quick, quick money and uh, paid off for my brother's and sister's education. And then uh, I jumped back into oral surgery. So I went to Nashville, did one year of uh, internship in oral surgery, and then uh, came to Chicago where we met. And I started as an intern at UIC and then uh, matched at Chicago, did my four years there. And I also was the first one to do a master's program there. When I started, it was kind of, they didn't want to do it. I had to do it at night, weekends. But by the time I finished, I think a lot of you guys had joined. And uh, so that's sort of in a, in a nutshell. Right now, I practice in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And the practice name is uh, Fort Wayne Oral Surgery. That's it. Excellent. Yeah. And then my next question is in regards to what you have done or learned over time to market to your referrals and to establish those good relationships uh, with your referring doctors. Oh, man. Ah, it seems like I've done, <laughs> I've done it all. Like, you know, uh, just like everybody else, you know, it's like without going into any companies, I think I've gone through like five different companies. You know, we, so to start off, like, you know, I, I started with the basic, you know, I did lunches you know, which we all do with like general dentists. Uh, but what I found working for me was uh, I do lunch and learns. I still do those now, not as much as before, but I actually intentionally had them scheduled two a month. So I would go into an office and uh, have a presentation that usually is 30 minutes about wisdom teeth or anterior aesthetic zone implant or same day implant or a bone grafting procedure, just something cool that will keep them going. For now, I'll bring lunch to all the staff. That really actually, I feel like that's to me the biggest one because I mean, I love all my referrals, but I realize they actually send me patients because of their staff. 
So I focus on the practice and not just the doctor. So I focus on the the assistants, the hygienists, and then the actual practice owner. It actually goes very well when you put the other people up front. It goes really, really well. Like when you show up and you've got something for everybody, and when you are addressing, you're addressing everybody. By the time you leave, it leaves a better impression, not just to the person referring you patients, but to everyone. So I've done wisdom teeth on most of the assistants' kids and the hygienist kids and the dentist kids. And guess what? So that you know translates to other patients when they're on the chair. So I I do a lot of that. Not as much just because of time. I used to do it twice a month. Like intentionally it had to be scheduled. Whether I wanted to do it or not, I had to show up at this office. So we had these meetings already pre-scheduled for the whole year. I need to get back into that. To tell that the truth, that's been actually a big one. Done uh, radio. I've done magazines like all the local magazines. Uh, I've done TV to where you go live on TV and you're getting live questions. I would go there every week and, you know, get bombarded with questions you know, questions you don't know. Uh, some of them know that they're coming from a dentist that's making somebody calling and trying to, <laughs> you know, all that work. I've done, you know, like social media, like Facebook, Instagram, Google, used marketing companies. I don't know. I mean, I think we've used all the methods you can think of, really. You know, it, it turns out to be like, you know, it depends on the time of the year, you know, what should we do now? Oh, yeah, let's do quarterly baskets So all the dentists. So we do that. Kind of just the name out there, you know, let's do quarterly baskets to all the staff or let's do. So I think we've used every method on the planet. And I feel like every single one of them has had a little impact. You know, I don't think it's been just one thing like TV only, or I think TV has worked for like my big cases. You know, when somebody's coming in and they want to spend, you know, 50 to 70K, they kind of look you up and want to know, okay, what, what else have they done? Oh, yeah, that's the guy on TV. Oh, okay, maybe I should see him. You know, that kind of thing. But nobody wants to come in for wisdom teeth. Oh, they're going to call their friend who's a hygienist. Oh, who should I see for my wisdom teeth? You know what I mean? So I feel like every single one of them has done something to impact the practice, you know? So it's just a mixture of everything. That's awesome. Yeah, it sounds like you're attacking it from all different angles. You have when- <laughs> yeah, when you so you mentioned you had gone through like, you know, multiple marketing companies, you know, or, or people who try to market for you. After using all these different people, you know, what what did you find was the most important thing to look for in these companies? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think you as a surgeon has to decide what you want before you actually get the person. So, you have to actually have a end goal in mind before you hire them because what I realize is uh, most of them are inclusive. They have everything. like They have a package. And of that package, what do you want? And focus on that. So, so everyone would probably want something different from every company based on what you're trying to do. You know what I mean? So if you are big into, like, I'm really big into doing, like, uh, technology stuff, you know, same-day teeth and cosmetics, anterior aesthetic zone, you want to focus on somebody who is really good at just 
digitizing stuff, pictures, videos. If you go to our website, you'll see uh, social media and knowing how to focus on a specific group of patients. So I've had, you know, multiple companies, but I felt like, you know, they were trying to do everything, but I'm not trying to reach everybody and do everything. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm only focused on a certain population. I want to do a lot of dental implants and most young folks don't need them unless they're congenitally missing a tooth, right? So that would involve probably patients on their 40s or 50s, mid-class to high-class, and nothing wrong with all the other patients, but you just need to know what sort of a patient demographic you're trying to reach. Because along the way, we've, you know, we've lost a lot of money because we've tried to do everything. And then you realize we, we did all these things, but really, what have we gained from it? Not much, you know? So I feel like the most important thing would be for you personally to decide what you want to achieve and who you are trying to reach then they pick the company that fits that profile. You know what I mean? And focus your energy on that group of referrals or whatever it is. Yes. You got to focus your energy in what you are trying to do. Because over the years, I realized, you know, I cannot be good at everything. And I let go of a lot of things. So (laughs) you just got to be willing to lose patience. Uh, And sometimes lose referrals if you're trying to do the right thing. I feel like if you are doing the right thing for everyone and know your limits, uh, that's kind of the secret sauce there. Uh, Because then you are doing a lot of good stuff for a lot of good people that you're comfortable doing every single time. So you're getting all these great results every single time. And that's pretty much it, you know? And I know in prior conversations when I've talked to you, it sounds like you do a really thorough job of your implant cases and then letting your doctors know what you did, how you did it, you know, what parts they need. How has that progressed for you over the last couple of years? Even more focused. I realized, you know what, so for, I'll give you a typical patient coming in for, uh, you know, a consultation. By the time I walk in the room, they would have their whole medical history form filled up online they would have clinical pictures taken. They would have an ICAT CT scan, and they would have an intraoral trio scan done. Like literally, they are ready to for me to just walk in. And then the moment I walk in, every patient must be scheduled for thirty minutes. Uh, they are paying a lot of money, and uh, you need to give them the time. So I, I'm very thorough about you know going through the procedure every single time. Uh, during the procedure, I do the same. I take intraoral photos, I take post-op x-ray, and I take a follow-up x-ray of the final like crown and picture. So for every patient I've done, I don't know how many, every single one of them has all those things. And then I share, I used to share everything and now I realize, you know, some, some, some things are becoming redundant. But if it's something important, like a full arch case or multiple implants, like, you know, complicated case or someone I've never worked with before or somebody I'm trying to impress, they get a photo page with, you know, a pre-op, intra-op, post-op, uh, photo and x-ray. Uh, you'll be amazed at all these little things because it just shows that 
you're on top of the game. Like you care about all these little things and really you, you don't need to do any of that stuff. You just need to train the stuff to do it. And then they kind of do it automatically for every patient. You know, I don't take pictures. I don't take x-rays. I don't make the photo page. I don't send it to the dentist. Somebody else does it for you, but it's happening automatically. You know what I mean? And when you say you're taking post-op pictures and x-rays, you're talking like right after you place the implant or you're, they're coming back, like at what time frame? And then how are you taking these pictures? And you said you take them at the time of the crown placement? Yeah. So we have one like final photo the day of surgery, which would show a healing cap. And then we would have with an x-ray, right? Like a periapical x-ray. And then we would have, they would come back what we call a final crown check. For every implant we've placed, somebody showed up to see their crown a bridge, all of them. And we will take that final X, uh, picture of the restoration. And then we would see them in a one-year follow-up and then five years. So for every single implant that we've done, or at least personally I've done, we've done that. Like we've seen the patient immediately following their restoration by the dentist. So that when they come in for what we call a stability check, so I've done an implant, it's been three months, I'm going to take off a healing cap. I'm going to make sure that implant is stable. I'm going to make sure the tissue looks good. And I'm going to write a little letter to the dentist. Hey, I checked the implant. The stability is over 50 newton centimeter. Please proceed. And then we would give them an appointment that day for two months for final crown check. Because we know by then they're restored. So they would stop by. I don't see them. One of the assistants would see them. We'll take a quick picture and a quick periapical x-ray. In schedule for a one-year recall, when I would see them, I'll see them at one year after their final restoration or final crown check visit. And then after that, it would be five years later. And what do you think that one-year uh, follow-up does for you? I mean, is it just kind of peace of mind or do you catch issues or, uh, you know, what's the purpose of that? To tell you the truth, most of them, I would say 90% of the time, there's nothing to do, but... I think it goes back to that referral base. That's one. You know, you see somebody one more time. Hey, how are we doing? It's been a year. Oh, my God. That implant, that, that looks great. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And the girl's here. And, the, oh, you have a guy nowadays, you know? Oh, yeah, your office, you know? And they'll brag and talk about this stuff. Kind of brings up the, the memories. And then they're going to talk about you a little bit. But in my mind, I also kind of want to see how that implant is performing, how the soft tissue looks like. And I realize in 10 years, like now, it's been 10 years, I'm starting to see a lot of my own complications just because I follow them. Now because the dentist called me up. And then you can start doing something f for yourself. I mean, it's not free, you know? I mean, you've done it. The implant has worked out for 10 years or it has worked out for seven years. Just because there's something going on, it doesn't mean you did something wrong. You can still do something to that patient and help him out. Instead of waiting until they actually show up, you know, accidentally or the dentist sends them in. So kind of a way to keep the recall, recalls like same way the dentists do with their cleaning appointments. That's a good point. I like that. I, didn't, I don't think a lot of guys do that, but it makes sense. And it probably also puts out a lot of fires because if you don't have them come back in X amount of years, you know, they're going to, if they have issues, they're going to see someone and it would be so much better if it was you and you could handle some of their own issues and talk them through it 
as opposed to someone else, you know, who doesn't know the history of the implant and is saying who knows what to the patient about it. Absolutely. I mean, it's just amazing. When you see your own patients admitting to, you know, what could have gone wrong or what has happened or just addressing the, the issue, you know, like uh, head on. Yeah. goes a long way in that trust. And you still maintain the patient or created a patient all of a sudden. Awesome. I really, I, you've said a lot of great things that I think are going to help our listeners. So now we're going to end with five rapid fire questions. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> All right. The first one is what is the best book you've read in the past year? Best book? Best book. None. <laughs> I, I'm serious because I, I, I mean, I, I read a lot of things, but I don't think I can say one specific book that's been, oh my God, that's it. No. Okay. All right. Um, what's been the most helpful non-oral surgery thing you've done that helps you with your oral surgery skills? Oh, I've learned how to ski. Uh, I remember okay. that. <laughs> I never uh, thought I'd learn how to ski at 40, but actually the stuff is good. Like, I don't know whether it's the cold, like, uh, whether it's just going down the mountains and clear off my head. Because I used to go like, you know, just go, go, go. And now all of a sudden, you know, I, I actually can't stop and look forward to something that's not oral surgery. And then when I come back, it's, you know, you feel fresh. So, yes, yeah. Yeah, I'm in Colorado. So, as you can imagine, we have lots of, you know, skiing opportunities and mountains. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Coming yeah. from Tanzania, actually, when I talk to my buddies in Tanzania, it's like, what the heck? What? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? What no. is you know? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, but to your point, it is so important to find what you know something to be able to reset to kind of you know get your mind out of maybe all the stress of the the daily thing. And, you know, some people it's skiing or meditation or yoga or whatever it is, but you need something to kind of reset. That's for sure. You do, you do, absolutely. Yep. Next question is, what forceps do you use to remove tooth number five? Tooth number five, 151. Okay. Not the ash. Not the ash. I hardly use the ash. I only use it maybe for the lower incisors to canine. That's it. And when I do it, I intentionally know how much force I'm putting on it so I'm not over-squeezing it. That makes sense. Next question is, what one person has influenced your oral surgery career the most? That's a tough one, the most. Uh, honestly, I think I'll give it back to Dr. Milaro and Dr. K doing residency because um, after that, really, I've been doing a lot of my own like research, trying things out. So most of my knowledge really came from those two. There's been a lot of other people, of course, but I would say, yeah, I'll give it to Dr. M and uh, Dr. K. And last question is, what is your favorite quote? Do you, do you have a quote that you come back to or that you live by or that you like? I mean, not by anybody, but I would say, you know, treat everybody right and assume that you are family, that your wife, brother, sister, mom. I, I even have it on my own website. I mean, like literally, that's how I feel. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So important to treat people like family for sure. It is. It is. It makes everything so easy. Like people ask me, how do you treatment plan? I say, it's, it's damn easy because um, you kind of say what you're thinking without being afraid of saying it. 
And even if it's wrong, you're okay changing it because, oh, by the way, I just thought of this, you know, I was thinking of doing it this way, but after doing this research, after I looked at all my cases, I think if we did it this way, this is actually going to work out really, really well. Yeah, you know, and I've also learned that you have to have that careful dynamic when you're talking to a patient, you know, about saying, hey, here's what I'm looking at. This is what I see, you know, and kind of, I, I do the same thing. I think I say things out loud. So the patient's following me and, you know, here's, let's say we have like an asymptomatic wisdom tooth, for example, 30 year old guy, right? It's not, not hurting you, but you know, it's whatever, it's close to the surface. We're not sure if it is going to erupt or cause trouble. Maybe currently it's only causing mild gum disease or whatever, you know, and you kind of say, hey, this is the two routes we could go. Take it out. Don't take it out. And, you know, kind of put it in the patient's court. And a lot of times the patient's going to say, well, what do you recommend? And you kind of have to be able to guide the patient. You do. And that's when you have to think of it as if it was you on the chair. What would you yeah. do? You know what I mean? So it, it becomes easy at that point to say, you know, I'm a surgeon. I'm more aggressive. I've been symptomatic before. I'll probably take this tooth out. Or, you know what? It's not even talking through the surface. I know you are thinking maybe this could be the issue, but if I were you, I'll, I'll probably hold off and do a root canal on that second molar and see if that helps before we jump into that tooth. That kind of deal. Like, you know, just do what you would do for you. and Exactly. It becomes really easy at that point to make that decision because at the end, they're going to ask you, what would you do? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, uh, what would you do? You know, like I had another patient the other day say, you know, I'm, I'm going to take out this tooth. I'm going to place an implant and then uh, I'm going to recommend a temporary crown there because I always recommend one. Oh, really? My dentist says I can go with a flipper. I say, oh, absolutely. You can go with a flipper. What would you do? I'll go with the crown. Is that going to cost me more? Yes, it will. Uh, so, right. <laughs> and then you get a call from a dentist and you probably now have lost the referral because, hey, I told him I was going to make him a flipper. And uh, you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden yeah. you piss somebody off. But you just have to say what you think is the right thing and then maybe call that other person and explain, hey, by the way, this is how it went, you know? Exactly. <laughs> totally. Well, I really appreciate you joining me for the podcast. I think you've said a lot of good things. I wish you the best in Fort Wayne, and hopefully we can connect sometime and do another episode. Hey, thanks, man. And another time maybe we'll talk about, you know, a procedure or something. So, Cool. Say hi to your family for me and have a good afternoon. Same to you, man. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. If you are an oral and maxillofacial surgeon or are in the oral surgery field and would like to be on this podcast, please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com or text me at 720-441-6059. Also, if you have any topics that you would like to hear discussed on this podcast or feedback on a certain episode that has already aired, please email or text me. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.